Hello and welcome to the Magic Overdose podcast. I'm your host Alex Ward and this is the place to hear about everything related to magic and sleight of hand. So if that's something you're interested in, hit the subscribe button and follow us as you are in the right place. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's Magic Overdose podcast. I'm your host Alex Ward and this week we are going to be talking about the mystical world of mentalism. And for those of you who don't know what mentalism is, mentalism is essentially summed up in a nutshell it is mind reading. It's a different branch of magic altogether. It's essentially magic with the mind. So anything that just involves the more mental sort of side of magic. So rather than sort of doing something really visual, you're doing something that would be happening either, you know, in in your mind or in their mind where they think of something and you can tell them what they're thinking or perhaps you might predict something that they uh, that they're going to do or think of before they do it. So that's kind of what mentalism is. But we're going to be discussing it a little bit more in detail in this episode. I've got a book in front of me, one of my favourite books called Thirteen Steps to Mentalism. I mentioned it in the very first episode of this podcast. It's one of my favourite books on mentalism. You can't really go wrong with it, and it's called Thirteen Steps for a reason, and that's because it has. 13 different steps into mentalism and I'm going to be going through some of those steps in this episode just to talk about the different elements that are involved in mentalism and how they can be implemented into your act whether or not you're doing just mentalism or you're mixing magic and mentalism together. So let's get into the podcast. As I sit here with the 13 Steps to Mentalism book in front of me, it's slightly overwhelming because there is so much in here and I don't quite know where to start on telling you guys on what the best sort of section is on on reading and on how to kind of get started in mentalism on on how to implement it into your show. I sort of, part of me wants to go through every single chapter and tell you a little bit about it, but I fear that might create a three hour long podcast. So what I'm going to do instead is just go through some of the key sections in here, which I think will really give you some value. And if you're looking into adding in a little bit of mentalism, then then that will kind of, then this should be the stuff that I think you'll you'll really appreciate. So the first thing I want to talk about is the very, very first chapter in the book, which is on the Swami gimmick. Now, if you don't know what a Swami gimmick is, essentially it is what is called a nail writer. Now, if you still don't know what what I'm talking about, I suggest you head over to some magic website um, or Google it because essentially it's it's hard for me to describe it any more than that because you kind of need to see what this is. But Corinder in the book does a really great job of describing what these are. He shows you all the different types of nail writers you can get from ones that are like thumb tips, ones that go underneath the nail, uh, to ones that are called boon writers, ones that actually stick on top of the thumb. Now these are all different types of nail writers you can still get today. I personally feel that these are really, really 
underused tools that people aren't using anymore today. There are mentalists that I know that are using them and they get great use out of them. But surprisingly, there aren't very many magicians that use nail writers. And I think it's just that it's a bit of a forgotten tool, perhaps because it's so old or perhaps that they find it a little bit difficult to use a nail writer. But if you take the time and practice using a nail writer, it is one of the strongest things you can have on you at all times. It's incredibly powerful and takes up hardly any pocket space whatsoever. Just think, you've got something on you at all times which can allow you to tell, to predict, or even read to people what they're thinking. So you could ask someone to just think of any two-digit number, any number between one and a hundred, and you turn around your pad and it's the exact same number they just named out loud. Just think of the different presentations you could do with this. You could make it look like you made them think of that number through subliminal messaging, or you could make it look like you read their mind. There's different ways you could do this. It doesn't have to be a number. It could be a letter in the alphabet. It could be the initials of a name. There's loads and loads of different things you could do with this. It doesn't even have to be a letter of a name or a number. It could just be checking a box. So this could be items on a menu. There's loads and loads of different things you can do with this. Once you get started with this thing, it almost gets a bit addictive, all the different presentational opportunities. I love leaving this thing in my pocket with a tiny little notepad. I get this little pocket-sized notepad, which I use it with, and I keep a little golf pencil with that notepad. And I ask people, um, sorry, as soon as someone's phone rings, I ask people to answer the phone and I ask them to ask the person on the end of the phone to name a two-digit number. And that's how I like to use my Swami gimmick, almost like an impromptu moment of magic. So that's a really, really strong piece of mentalism. So if you're not using a Swami gimmick, I really suggest looking into getting one and practicing it a little bit. And you might be nervous at first using it, thinking that you might get caught, but trust me, no one's going to think that you've got a little pencil attached to your thumb. No one's going to think that. So go out, go use it and just, just see the massive reactions you're going to get from it. All right, so that is the first part that I wanted to talk about was a Swami gimmick. Let's get into the next part of the podcast. So if you're interested in mentalism, there is a section in this book, and this is chapter two. I fear, by the way, as I'm making this podcast, that I might be going through all 13 chapters in this book. Hopefully, it's not going to be a three-hour podcast. You'll be able to see the length of the podcast um, in, in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. So apologies if it's longer than the usual sort of 30 minutes, um, but hopefully it won't be really long. But anyway, I'm at chapter two and I already want to talk about chapter two. So chapter two is on pencil, lip reading, sound reading, touch reading and muscle reading. I'm going to briefly just talk about this and I'm not going to really talk about the different techniques, but I want to talk about why this is something that you may want to start experimenting with and how to start experimenting with this within your magic performances. Because if you're interested in this, sometimes it's a little bit scary to start looking into muscle reading because there is a potential uh, to fail with it because, you know, it doesn't always work. It's quite hard to do and it takes a lot of practice. But you can still start practicing muscle reading while using your or making it look like you're doing muscle reading where and you are doing it but really there's a secure outcome 
So there's ways you can do this. Let's just say you're doing a card trick. If you force a card on someone, you know what the card is, and then you ask them to mix the cards, and then you take out, let's just say, 10 cards, and you make sure that one of the cards you take out is their card. You lay them all face up on the table, and then you do the muscle reading. And muscle reading, for those of you who don't know, is where you read the uh, sensations in someone's muscles to tell what they're thinking or to tell what object they're thinking of. So you could, but you know what card they've picked because you forced it. But really what you're going to be doing here is practicing muscle reading, right? And trying to read the muscles, but it, you know, at the same time, you definitely also know what card they've gone for. And in this case, you, you know, you're, you're sort of developing a skill, but whilst also showing the same effect that would be happening while muscle reading. You can also do this while uh, there's a thing called pencil reading here. So for example, if you get someone to sign a playing card, you could say to them, oh, do me a favor, just write a two digit number on that playing card as well. Don't let me see. Now this is pencil reading, right? You can try and see what's happening on the pencil while, or sorry, on the pen, if they're signing a playing card, while they write that two digit number on the playing card. Now, if you don't see what that two digit number is, it doesn't matter. They're just signing a playing card for a trick and writing a two digit number so you can identify it later. But if you can read, by the pen, by the pen, by the movements of the pen, what that number is, then you've got a mini little effect there that you've just had, that you've just achieved. So they write down a two-digit number, and you've seen somehow that they've written twenty-three because it was obvious by the pen movements. Then you can say to them, "Do me a favor, hold that card to your chest and concentrate on that number." Good, and then you can reveal that they're thinking of twenty-three, and then move into your card effect as you as you would usually, but. If you didn't know what number they were thinking of, it doesn't matter. It's just a normal signed card effect. So this is definitely, if you're getting 13 Steps to Mentalism, a chapter worth looking into because there's loads and loads of material in here. Not just the stuff that I'm talking about, but some really, really great stuff. And there are definitely loads of ways that you can implement it into your, into your usual magic material and get sort of little extra effects in there uh, from the stuff that you're already doing. Oh dear, I'm at chapter three, I'm at step three, and I'm not skipping it. I want to talk about it. I think it's very important. <laughs> it's an important part of mentalism, so I'm going to talk about it. Okay, so step three is mnemonics and mental systems. I will try to be quick. So mnemonics and mental systems. So for those of you who don't know what mnemonics is, it's essentially... Um, it, this chapter is about kind of everything that is mental, sort of memory and um, mathematical and um, yeah, that's kind of what this whole chapter is about. Um, so, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because this can be, very, this is a great chapter if you want to implement um, new things into your show that you're already doing. So for example, if you've been interested in learning a stack, learning a mnemonic system is really going to help you because the amount of people I meet who are learning stacks of cards, but they're not using a mnemonic system, they're just trying to learn the stack the hard way just by trying to memorize it by just going, you know, four of hearts, seven of spades, eight of diamonds, and then just trying to remember three cards at a time and trying to do it by number. They're trying to do it the hard way. It's much, much easier if you learn a mnemonic system. Yes, a mnemonic system takes a bit of time to learn, but once you learn the mnemonic system, 
you can apply it to lots of things like playing cards, list of objects, names, numbers, lots and lots of different things. So it's definitely worth getting in there and learning a mnemonic system. Now, also in this chapter, one of my favorite things in here is what he calls the amazing memory test. This is something that you can do on stage. This is when you ask someone to, or sorry, ask your audience to name out a list of say 20 to 30 different objects. Someone writes them down um, all, all to a number. So you have a, a number, a list, sorry, a piece of paper that has numbers on it from one to 30 and you get people to name out objects and you never look at this list. And then once the whole list is filled out, you can then ask anyone to name a random number. So say someone names around number 16, and then you know what is at number 16. Someone then names number six, you know what's at number six. Someone names number 25, you know what's at number 25, and so on. Um, this is a awesome, awesome effect that you can do. It's about 10, 15 minutes worth of stage material, which is even cooler. And all you need is a piece of paper or someone's notes in their phone and your, your memory. That's all you need to do it. And it's not difficult to do. And not only that, is it's a, it's a skill that you can just take with you um, into your everyday life. So you can use it to remember a shopping list. You can use it to... Um, memorize all sorts of different things, phone numbers. Um, I use it to, to yeah, in, in my everyday life. So I'm, I don't really write things down. I just memorize stuff. So anyway, it's, it's definitely worth looking into that. And at the very, very least, if you're, if you're just interested in card magic and you don't care about mentalism at all, every really good card magician I know knows a stack. And if you want to learn a stack, it's definitely worth learning a mnemonic memory system so you can memorize that stack quickly and also if you want to memorize different types of stacks so it's worth looking into learning a mental system for that all right let's get on to the next part of the podcast okay so i just skipped out a couple of chapters i'm very proud of myself for doing that um, we skipped out, not because they weren't good, but just because I feel like um, I want to focus on stuff that works more on close up and less on stuff that works on stage. Um, because I feel like that more of our listeners are sort of close up people. And, um, and the, the, the stuff in the last chapters were sort of on predictions and blindfold stuff. So, um, but if you're, if you're interested in, in that, definitely, as I said, as I keep saying, just get the book, get the book, all the information's in the book. I'm talking about the book. Just get 13 Steps to Mentalism. It's like the, it's one of the oldest and best books there, there is on mentalism. So just get the book if you want to learn all this stuff. It's, it's there. It's an old book and just get it. So anyway, the next chapter I'm talking about um, and something that I think you should look into if, you're, if you want to do, do mind reading, if you want to tell people what they're thinking of is billets. This is step six in 13 Steps to Mentalism. It is billets. Now, billets is, um, if you don't know what billet, if you think, what am I talking about? Billets are essentially little pieces of paper or business cards, quite often people use business cards now, but little pieces of paper where someone writes something down, it's then folded up, and then you somehow secretly obtain that information, um, which then makes that very much look like mind reading. Um, billets, I believe are, I believe we're saying that wrong. Um, I believe it was, no, I, could, no, I could be very wrong when I say this, by the way. Uh, I heard this somewhere from someone I can't remember where and I can't remember from who. So I could be making this up. So don't hold me to this. But I believe that billet 
is actually Billet and it's French and it's from the sort of spiritualism era and it's French for little love note. I think that's what it, it is, but we're saying it wrong. We're just, we call it Billet and it's just, it's become that. Um, and the spiritualism, spiritualists used to use it uh, to say, you know, write a little little note, you know, to to the little love note to the spirits, you know, who have passed and that's how they'd get in touch with them. And that's where the the word came from for the mentalists. But that's um, but that but I could I could be slightly off on that, so don't hold me to that. But anyway, we call them billets. So why do I want to talk about billets? The reason is is because I think it's possibly one of the most underused techniques in mentalism even and definitely magic. I think a lot of people avoid using billets because possibly they don't understand the power of them and understand, you know, all the different techniques that you can use with billets. And I think that also the other reason why people don't use them is because there's so many different other options that there are on the other, on on the market. You have things like peak wallets, you have impression devices, you have electronic impression devices, you have all sorts of very expensive things that you can buy, which is then quite ridiculous because you don't need to buy any of those things because you can achieve the exact same effect using just bits of paper and a pencil. You literally don't need anything more than just some paper and a bit of pencil. Sorry, a bit of paper and a pencil. So that's all you need to read someone's mind. And learning billet techniques is going to be one of the, honestly, if you learn the techniques that are in this book, there's also another book that goes through some of these techniques, um, were Practical Mental Effects or Practical Mental Magic by Theodore Anneman. Uh, he talks about a lot of these billet techniques as well. But learning these techniques are going to allow you to do some amazing effects. So billet techniques include things like center tears. And um, that is when you tear up a piece of paper. This is how it looks for the spectator. They write something down, you tear up the piece of paper, you burn the piece of paper, and then you still know what they're thinking of. Um, and then it also talks about billet switching as well. And this is where you can then secretly switch the bit of paper uh, that they've written the thing, uh, the, the word or the name down on, and uh, you can then read what they've written as well. This is great um, for, you know, I do this in live close-up performances. I do this for stage as well. There's loads and loads of different applications for this. Um, the, the great thing about billet work is you literally just need some business cards or you just need some bits of paper and a pen. You literally don't need anything else. Um, a lot of mentalists and magicians are surprised when they see how little I carry at a gig. I just carry a stack of blank business cards and a pen and I take a deck of playing cards with me as well. That's all I take to a gig. Uh, but people are surprised that I can work a room with just that. But there is enough routines you can do with just a blank deck of business cards um, and asking people to think of things. So um, yeah, it's definitely worth learning billet techniques. You can get a lot of mind reading done with that. Um, I don't really know what else, to, what more I can say on that without sort of giving away techniques so i'm gonna i'm gonna end the my rant my 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 ramblings on billet techniques but if you're interested in mentalism i encourage you i encourage you before before you spend a lot of money on some gadget gizmo or, or wallet or impression device to just first learn learn some billet techniques go out and do them 
check out the reactions and you'll just see it's, it's going to be the same reactions you're going to get from any of these expensive props. Um, all right, so that is billets. Imagine this situation. You've been invited over to someone's home for a dinner party. And at the end of the evening, someone asks you to perform a magic trick. So you ask the person who's asked you to perform to go to their bookshelf and grab a book. They grab a book like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. And then you ask them to open the book to any page, but without you seeing, and to go down that page and to look and remember any word. You then ask them to concentrate on that word and to imagine telepathically sending it to you. After a while of concentrating, you get an image of a word in your mind. You stare at them in a mentalist sort of way with fingers to the head and a look of concentration. And eventually, you triumphantly name that word out loud and you are correct. And everyone goes absolutely mental and starts applauding and they start crowd surfing you across the room. That's how amazing you are. So what you just would have performed is what is called a book test. And book tests are a really, really interesting style of effect. Um, you can, if you want to see a really cool type of book test or a really great magician doing a book test, I suggest searching on YouTube a person called Chan Canasta. I'll say that again, Chan Canasta. So uh, he was, he's one of my favorite magician slash mentalists to this day, part on the fact of his level of boldness. He just, he's so confident in the way he performs. Uh, he'll probably fool you with a lot of his card material and his, his mentalism material. And just watching him perform is an absolute joy. And he would do book tests. He would also do uh, card tricks as well. And they were just just so wonderful to watch and it's just simple in his techniques and in his methods but because of the way that he would do them it was very fooling to watch as well but going back to the book test the methods that are involved in this there are so many different types of methods you can do to achieve this effect of asking someone to think of a word from a book and then you knowing what it is some of these methods involve trick books, books that are very expensive to buy, you know, almost, uh, you know, around sort of between $500 and $1,000 to buy. And these aren't cheap. I have uh, admittedly, I've purchased one of two of these books in my time and they're great. Uh, they do the job. You can ask someone to open the book at any page and think of any word and you will know that word. And they are great books, uh, but they're expensive. Likewise, there are very, very cheap and impromptu methods where you don't need anything. You can ask someone to grab a couple of books and then you ask them to, you know, say stop on any page and you ask them to remember the first word on that page and you can tell them the first word. Likewise, there's other ways you can do it as well. You could ask someone to take out a couple of cards from the pack and, um, you know, if they picked a two and a five, you can say to them, well, turn to page 52 or 25 and remember the first word on that page. So probably the card guys on you are already thinking, well, I could do that, you know, I can force cards. So you're already probably figuring out that this is something that you could do. It's not, it's not something that is necessarily totally challenging. There's loads of different methods for book tests out there, but I want you to start thinking that it's not 
the the method but it's more the effect that you're doing on someone you want to make it seem like it was their book it was their choice of word and the way you then get that word from their mind how are you doing that so this is a really strong powerful effect that you can do you can do it from you know whether you're trying to get them to do some mathematics to get to a certain page number you're getting them to pick cars to get to a certain page number or you're just forcing the page by asking them to call out stop whenever they like it really doesn't matter how you get them to that page and how you get them to that word but it's extracting that information how are you doing that how are you getting them to believe that you're a mind reader this is a really strong and easy effect that you can do that it's a really nice way to introduce some mentalism into your act as well so um, it's great to do impromptu if you're over at someone's house it's also a great effect that you can do on stage so if you're looking to add in some stage magic so if you're if you're if you if you're not doing any stage magic at the moment and um, if you're not performing on stage but you're looking into doing it and you want to know what types of effects to add in this is something super easy and super quick that you can add in just chuck a couple of books in your bag and you've already got another sort of anywhere between a three and seven minute routine that you can do just by adding in a couple of books cool so super easy super cool and that's the book test so i hope you guys uh get a lot of joy out of that and that is and you can don't have to do it with books sorry i haven't finished you can do it with magazines as well so you know look into that and um and there's a chapter on it in 13 steps to mentalism so good luck with the book test and let's get on to the next part of the podcast okay so if you're listening to this you're probably already doing card tricks which is awesome and i'm guessing the type of card tricks you're doing are the type where you ask someone to pick a card you shuffle the cards and then you say hey is this your card the spectator goes nope it's not my card and you go oh oh no it looks like i got it wrong tell you what hold the card for a second and then you click you wave and the card changes in their hand to the card that they picked which is a very cool it's simple it's direct magic trick and there's nothing wrong with it and it's the type of trick that i love doing but if you're looking to make your magic and your card magic more sort of with a more mentalism style, with a more mentalism feel, you need to start trying to think about this one concept that I'm going to give you now. And that is this, is if you're doing magic, people are going to think that what you're doing is impossible. So if you do something that is totally impossible, like what I just described there, so like making a card change in someone's fingertips, that is what someone would consider impossible because a playing card can't magically just change its value from one value to another value in someone's hands okay so you just did something that was impossible amazing but impossible if you then have someone hold a deck of cards and that deck of cards then changes to a block of glass again that is impossible i'm not saying these are bad things by the way i'm saying these are these are very good tricks to do but they are impossible and people are just going to write them off as well, that was a magic trick. That was impossible because people are intelligent human beings and they don't believe in, you know, in fairies and the Easter bunny and, you know, the impossible. So they're just going to go, well, that was a magic trick. He was a very good magician. Where if you change your magic from being impossible to highly improbable, then they have, then they have to argue with themselves. They have to go, well, what, what, if, what, if, I'd, what if I'd picked a different card? Or what if, I'd, what if I'd thought of, of something else? Then it wouldn't have worked. And what I mean by this is, let's look at a trick like the invisible deck. So the invisible deck, uh, if you don't know, is essentially someone can name any card and that card will be face down in that deck. 
great trick if you don't have it already. And a lot of people will, the classic, um, the, the classic way of, sort of performing this trick would be you'd hand the deck to someone and you'd say to them, I want you to think of a card, uh, name it out loud, and imagine that card now flying out the pack. Good. Imagine it flying out the pack invisibly and nose diving back into the pack so it's facing the wrong way inside the pack. Good. Imagine that. Really, the stronger you imagine it, uh, the more that's going to become reality. Now, if I open up the pack, you can see that that has become reality and it is now face down inside the pack. Now, here's the thing. With that type of presentation, now, again, there's nothing really that wrong with that presentation, not my preferred way of performing it. But with that type of presentation, no one's going to believe that their card did fly out the pack invisibly and nosedive back in the pack because, again, people are intelligent. So they're just going to go to the assumption of, well, maybe he had a trick pack, maybe he used sleight of hand. They're not, they may not know the answer, but they're going to sort of just, they're going to brush it aside. Whereas if you hand someone a pack of cards and you say, I prepared this pack in a very special way, there's one card face down, I'm going to get you to name that card, but I'll give you a clue, it's not an obvious card like an ace or a queen. I want you to think of a card which you would consider to be obscure, right? one that you wouldn't usually name. So if you'd usually think of a, think of a heart, maybe think of a spade or a club, if you'd usually think of a spade, think of a heart or a diamond, and uh, perhaps you know maybe think of an obscure card, like a number card. Great, get a card in your mind. Also get a second card in your mind. Think of, think of the opposite to that card. So maybe the opposite in color or the opposite in number. Good, change your mind a couple of times, back and forth, back and forth. Now stop on that card. Good, name that card out loud. It's at that point, if you then show that the card that they named out loud is face down in that pack, that, that they will freak out. This is the way I perform the invisible deck anyway. Um, and the reason why I believe it gets really strong reactions is because when people talk about it afterwards, they always say, well, what if I'd named the other card? It, it, you know, it wouldn't have worked. And like, I almost thought about the other card, but for some reason I felt drawn towards the card that I named. And, you know, what, but, you know, I could have said this and that could have happened. And they start thinking about all the different variables that are in the trick. And it's because what you're doing is you're not just creating a sense of like, well, this is totally impossible. This, you know, this, this would never have, you know, this, there's no way this could have not worked. Um, you're saying that like, yes, there, there was an element that this could have failed for me, but luckily it worked. You know, there was a one in 52 chance uh, that, you know, this was going to go right. And luckily it happened. And when people think about that, they go, wow, the probability was really against you, but yet it still worked. And that is almost more amazing in itself. And this is where, uh, this is like the subtle shift in card magic, in mentalism and card magic, you know, for magicians. And when you start doing this, you'll, you'll get a slightly different reaction from people, but you'll start, people will start asking you more questions about how you do what you do. And, um, and it, and it gets quite interesting. So if you're interested in using card magic, you know, in a sort of mentalist style, what I encourage you to do is start thinking about this as a concept is how do I take my magic from being totally impossible to highly improbable? So just think about that highly improbable. If you can make something highly improbable, then the likeliness is it's going to shift in, its, in the way that people are going to perceive it. And it's probably going to then be less of a magic trick and more of what people will perceive as, you know, mentalism. So Turn it from being impossible to highly improbable and you're probably going to be heading in the right direction. 
So this next little section, I'm going to talk about cold reading. Cold reading is a massive, massive topic, and I suggest that you read some books on it. There are loads of books on cold reading, and this will help you sort of get a better understanding of it. For those of you who have no idea what cold reading is, essentially it's a way that with nothing on you, you can make it look like you are psychic by uh, using the different cold reading techniques. But here I want to talk about one of them, which is one of my favourite ones, which will allow you to really enhance the way that you are performing mentalism for people. So um, what this is, is to allow you to seemingly have more specific information on people without them having to write anything down and without them knowing how you would even know this information, right? And what you're essentially going to be doing is just naming out loud random stuff and hoping that it hits but also having an escape plan if it doesn't so here's what i mean by this imagine you're doing a book test and you know that someone is thinking of a word so like imagine that the word is a word like pencil and uh, you you know that they're thinking of the word because you've either forced the word or you've peaked the word or whatever so if they think of the word pencil, so you're now in the, in the moment where you're trying to tell them the word, but then you look at the person and you say to them, um, for some reason, when I look at you, uh, the, 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 a, a name comes to me. I'm just getting their name over and over again in my head. I'm just getting the name Peter, 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 Peter is coming to me. Why am I getting this name Peter in my head? Right now, from the instant reaction you're going to get from that person, you're going to know whether or not that is a hit. Now, if they react in a big way, right, it's probably going to be because Peter is either a direct relative, like a husband or a father, a brother or a son, or maybe like a close friend or something like that. If they kind of stop and think for a second, then you're going to move on, okay? So, if, the, if they react and go, oh my God, great, then we've just got an amazing hit for no reason. So let's just imagine that they do a big reaction. Then you go, okay, yeah, so that's that's your husband. Okay, cool. Don't think about him. Okay, just concentrate on the word. You're, he came into your mind for a second. Concentrate on the word. I, I want to get the word. Okay. So suddenly it looked like you just got a, a random name from this person's mind, you know, without them even knowing that you're going to get it before you got the word. That's an amazing trick. So then imagine that they don't react. And then you go, you then stop and you say to them, perhaps it's an old friend, right? They then stop. They then might say, oh, yes, I went to school with someone called Peter. You then say, okay, for some reason, this person's popping into my mind. I don't know what the relevance is, but can you stop thinking of that for a second and just concentrate on the word? Again, the hit isn't as strong, but it's a small hit that you're getting for nothing. Okay. And then you go ahead and reveal the word pencil, which again is going to be the stronger hit. But then there's a third scenario, which is when they go, nope, don't know anyone called Peter. Haven't got a friend. Haven't got anyone in my family. I know no one called Peter. At that point, you can go, that's strange. It's the, the, the name is just it's coming into my head. It usually has some relevance. Um, do you, know, you know what? Is that, can you, is that, what's the first letter of the word? Is the first letter of the word P by any chance? It could, it could be that. Is, is the first letter of the word P that you're thinking of? And they'll go, yes. And you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Great. Just concentrate on the word then. I think that's where the confusion was. I was getting a name instead of the word. And then I just move on for that. So all I did there was I took the first letter of the word that they were thinking of and thought of a name. Um, likewise, if they were thinking of the word cup, um, 
for example, I would think of the, you know, I'd say the name, who's Chris? Why am I getting the name Chris? It's just coming to me, or Christopher is coming to me over and over again. Who's Christopher, right? And that's just the first name that comes to my mind when I think of the first letter of the word cup. Uh, by the way, I'm just naming things that are on my desk at the moment. And, and, I, and I play it the exact same way. And I could do this with names as well. If I peaked a name and someone wrote down the name, um, you know, James, I would then think of a female name and I'd go, who's Jessica? Why am I getting Jessica in my, in my, in my mind? Who's Jessica? Is this an old friend of yours? Um, so I just do the same thing like that. So that's all you need to do. Um, and, you know, if it hits, it's amazing. If it doesn't hit, it's not a big deal. You just move on from it, okay? And they will forget it because you've always got the hit at the end. This is, I can't express to you, one of the most powerful techniques that you can use. It is a cold reading technique and it's an underused cold reading technique. Most magicians just stick to these Barnum statements, which in in my honest opinion, are quite weak to use. And this, if you start using something like this, you're going to just really, really see the benefits of it. So I encourage you to do it. It's a little bit scary at first, but you will see great results from it. So that is uh, a little brief description on cold reading and how to implement it into your mentalism straight away. That is the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you got a lot of information about mentalism. And if you're new to mentalism, hopefully that's a nice little introduction for you. So let's give you a little bit of news about what's going on in the Magic Overdose world. The new website is going to be launching in just three days time, which is very exciting. Uh, if you're listening to this, you know, several weeks after the release, then go over to the website now, magicoverdose.com and sign up because it's, it's already open and launched and ready for you to join. So it's very exciting. I'm so excited to, you know, launch it. It's been months and months making the thing and we've had uh, beta testers in to test it out and, you know, make sure that there's no more bugs going on in it. And so I think we're pretty much pretty much there now just a few more little bits and bobs to add into it over the next couple of days but we're we're pretty much there so really excited to get everyone in and get them all signed up and and using the site and what's going to be so cool about the site is once everyone uh, joins it's just going to continue to grow and continue to add content to it so i yeah i'm super pumped about it so really excited about the site um, other than that, I think we're all done with the podcast. Be really grateful if you're listening on iTunes, if you go leave a review on iTunes, just telling everyone how much you enjoy the podcast. And I would be eternally grateful to you if you did that, just because, you know, it'll help other listeners find the podcast. And if you're, as usual, if you're listening on Anchor, feel free to leave me a message on Anchor and I will um, listen to that and potentially play it on the next podcast. So uh, until next time, I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you next time.